God has given us enough light for just the next step. Mm. So we are always in discernment of where God is calling us, and we have to be brave enough and vulnerable enough to take that next step. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking in good faith today with Bishop Carla Long from the Salt Lake City Community of Christ. Carla, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. You have such an an expansive personality. One of the reasons I wanted to invite you is because of the positive energy you give people. Oh, that's very kind, Steve. (laughs) Thank you so much. Well, I was a cheerleader for five years, captain for two, so that makes sense to me. Okay. (laughs) And should I address you as Bishop Long? Uh, No, Carla is just fine. Okay. Thank you. You're from a small town in Kansas, like you say, 682 people small. It's pretty small. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's small. How many in your graduating class? 37. That meant you got to do everything like be a cheerleader. Absolutely. It's captain of the basketball team, captain of the volleyball team, you know, all the stuff. So you went into teaching in mathematics Mm -hmm. and then this thing happened. Oh, my gosh. Which, what do you call it? You got a call. You felt a call. I did. What I actually think it was is that I just felt like God was gently nudging me. So I was teaching high school math in Independence, Missouri, and I taught for three years. And I loved it. Math is my very first love, my first love. And I really loved teaching math. And I wanted to write a math textbook, actually. And then I just kept feeling this nudge and this nudge. And I started getting... I don't know if you've ever gotten it, the Sunday evening feeling in your stomach when you had to go to work on Monday and it just wasn't calling to you anymore. And I got this Sunday <laughs> evening feeling in my stomach. And I realized that math wasn't my first love anymore. And God was calling me to something else. So um, I stopped teaching in the spring. And in October, I had volunteered in our church with something called World Service Corps, where you can go for a year or two years somewhere overseas and volunteer for the church. And I called up the church. I said, hey, I want to do this. And they said, what about the Philippines? And I said, okay. (laughs) So so I read like five books about the Philippines and I tried to prepare myself for the Philippines and the church prepared me for the Philippines, but nothing could have prepared me for the feel of the Philippines and the smells of the Philippines and the, the love of the people. The Filipinos, I think, are some of the most hospitable people in the world. And I just fell in love with the Filipino people. I preached my very first sermon, half in Tagalog and half in English. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. (laughs) But it was the first time in Community of Christ that someone who was not Filipino tried to preach in Tagalog. And the people were so grateful that I even tried that, um, you know, they just... They just loved me so much because I tried that, because I embarrassed myself so deeply trying to speak Tagalog. But it was really a wonderful experience. I want to come back to this exact moment in the Philippines. But first, okay, okay, let's dive back to the house you grew up in. Do you have like a first memory about being taught about God or belief or anything like that? How was that in your youth? Oh, that's a really good question, Steve. So I grew up Community Christ my whole life. My dad is an elder. My mom is a priest. She was ordained when I was seven years old. My sister is an elder. So like we are a very Community of Christ family. Uh, My dad's also the pastor of our small congregation in Mapleton, Kansas. Not Mapleton, Utah. Mapleton, Kansas. I don't know if I remember exactly moments 
of learning about God, but in our tradition, church camps are really, really important. And we had a church camp that we'd go to in Joplin, Missouri, which is about two and a half hours south of where we lived. And I yearned for church camp every single year. I would go to kids camps and family camps, and it was the place that I felt God most of all. Why? When did you feel that? Or what brought that on? Just uh, being together? or I think it was the community aspect. And Community of Christ, we're really, really big on community. And like you live with these people and eat with these people and do whatever and go to campfire with these people for a whole week. And one of our uh, apostles, retired apostles, once said about our church camps, he's like, you know, everyone's really nice and like friendly and super, super awesomely friendly up till Thursday. And then people start getting real. And then that's when things get real. It's not that we're super mean after Thursday, but like it's hard to be really, really nice for a whole week. So like that's when you really, really gel as a group. And so you get to practice compassion and kindness and be like, you know what? People are really tired. People are missing home. They're missing their beds. They're missing their bathrooms. So I can practice compassion for these people and they can practice it for me. So anyway, church camp is just a place that you can be completely accepted for who you are. And that doesn't happen like in say in high schools necessarily, Mm. you're not accepted for who you are, but at church camp you are. And it doesn't matter who you are, you are automatically loved. And it's just a wonderful feeling. Mm. I love it so much. I'm wondering from church camp, two things. One, were you considering ministry then? I mean, especially with it being in your family or was it just always going to be teach math? That was the goal. I always wanted to be a math teacher. (laughs) I have loved math for so long. I never, ever thought about being a minister, ever. I did take some New Testament, Old Testament courses when I went to Graceland University in Lamoni, Iowa, and I really loved my professor, and I'm actually still really, really close with my professor. Him and his wife, I podcast with them all the time, and we're really good friends. And I really enjoyed the New Testament, Old Testament courses and Community Christ Theology courses I took, but it was still math was number one for me. I think probably because my dad always instilled in us that we needed to pick a major that would make us money, (laughs) that we could live on. And I don't know if I could live on being a minister, but it turns out I can. (laughs) (laughs) So what was it besides community? Because at some point, if you're considering ministry, I mean, there's the basic question of what or who is God to me? Mm-hmm. And there is such a wide variety in the world of people who really believe in a higher power. And for some, it's a very personal being concerned with every aspect of our lives and guiding us. And then for others, it's it's a pervasive creative spirit that we're all part of. And how did that change? Or what, what was it for you at that time? You know, I believe that God is always yearning for us, that God always wants to be present with us. We humans get so distracted all the time. You know, like we don't recognize God when God is just effervescent and present. So for me, I like to practice what I call finding God moments in my life, Mm. like recognizing when God is present and knowing that those moments are precious and wonderful and that they are those moments that I really cling to. And I find in those moments myself yearning for God the way God is yearning for me. And so I just, I recognize that God is always there, always there. I just wish I recognized God more often. (laughs) (laughs) This is a human dilemma. Yes. 
Do you have an example of even a, just sort of one of those small moments when you feel that connection? Absolutely. They can be as small as me holding my 16-month-old son and him just looking at me and smiling, just seeing his whole little face. Or they can be as big as being a part of a worship service and just recognizing that the Spirit is resting in the room. Mm. It's just really just takes me recognizing it. So that's a mindset. I think so. I mean, so. you could live the same life and, and just breeze through those very same things thinking, oh, happy things happen. That's absolutely true. And so in Community of Christ, within the last 10 or 15 years, we have really focused in on spiritual practices. And I think doing those spiritual practices like meditation, centering prayer, yoga as well, you know, things like that, I think that those are really good at opening you up to recognizing those moments. And they're called spiritual practices. You don't have to be perfect at them. You're supposed to be practicing them. Practice, practice, practice. (laughs) So I think those moments have helped me to recognize God's presence more often. Mm. Okay. You're in the Philippines. You're definitely not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) No, no. So I want to know what you learned because not just the different language, but really culture shock. I mean, there are people who would say, I love these people, but I have to go home. Tell me about dealing with culture shock and if having a sense of mission can pull you through that. Or maybe you had none of that. It's a really good question. So I'm going to back up before I went love for the Philippines. That last year of teaching when I was having those Sunday evening feelings in my stomach, I really just kept continually felt nudges that God was urging me on to a different place. And I felt like in my whole life in some ways had been leading up to ministry, even though I didn't recognize it. Teaching is an excellent major if you're going to be a minister Mm. because teaching you're in front of people all the time. You need to find ways to capture attention. You need to, you know, like make it interesting, have a big (laughs) opening so people pay attention. So teaching is a great way to move into that. I was also really big into church camps, as I said. So, you know, like I'm all, I also am fairly, I've seen a lot of different varieties of worship. Mm, things like that, and ways to do that. So I feel like a lot of my life has been leading up to ministry. And I felt like God was like, Carla, I'm going to have to start pushing (laughs) (laughs) because the nudges were coming harder and faster. So back to the Philippines. So that call was really strong. And when the church said, how about the Philippines? I made a commitment that I would stay there Mm. and that I would do it. And I would learn as much as I could about myself. When I was living in independence, I had and have lots of friends there, lots of friends. And if I would go out at night, I would go with 20 of my closest friends. (laughs) So I was rarely alone. And in the Philippines, I was pretty much totally alone. I lived with a family and I, I love them. But they had their own family activities, and they spoke their own language, and I was definitely an outsider. And so I had to learn how to be with myself. Mm. And if Catherine of Genoa is right, she said, the me in me is God. And so I think getting to know yourself, you get to know who God is as well. Yourself without all the things that told you who you were from your old life. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So that call was really, really strong. And so I'm like, I'm sticking with this. I'm doing this. I'm learning about myself, and I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to have experiences. So you commit for a year, and you finish, but that's not necessarily a lifetime commitment. I'm now in the ministry, all of that. So then what? That's a great question, too. Because I was supposed to be there for a whole year, but the war in Iraq was Uh. getting ready to get started in March of 2003, I'm pretty sure. And I was supposed to go from October to October 2003. And the Filipinos were very upset with 
the United States for starting this war. And every single week I was there, I would hear about an American business being bombed, an American being shot and killed, so on and so forth. These were actually taking place on the farthest south island in Mindanao. I was on the northernmost island in Luzon. But Community of Christ said, no, no, you're too much of a liability, Carla. We're bringing you home early. So Mm. they brought me home only six months in. I was really disappointed to leave because culture shock takes about six months for you to get used to a place. Yeah, yeah. And I just got used to the place. And they said, you need to come home. And it was probably a wise decision. I don't think my life was in danger. I lived in a tiny village. All of the Filipinos knew who I was by the end because I would walk through town and everybody would say, hi, Americana, Americana. So I came home and the church said, okay, you can either quit your contract with us or your volunteer contract. You can move to Taiwan and do the same kind of thing. You can move to Australia or you can work at the temple in Independence. And I said, send me to Australia. Thanks. <laughs> so <laughs> by July, I was in Australia and I was um, supporting three churches there. They let me have a car. I don't know why they did that, but I needed a car because I was living three hours north of where the main office was. And I started a youth group. I taught Aboriginal children who had dropped out of high school. I was pretty busy there. It was Mm. really, really fun. I lived 10 minutes from the beach. I learned how to surf. It was a really awesome experience. I was also ordained in Australia. Toward the end of my time there, I was supposed to go from July to July, from July 2003 to July 2004. My parents came down to visit me, and I was ordained while my parents were there. I was ordained by my Australian mother, the people who had adopted me there, and my biological father. Oh, nice. It was wonderful. And by being ordained, tell me what that means. In Community of Christ, every priesthood role has different responsibilities. Like, for instance, a priest is Jesus as friend and might minister to families and things Mm -hmm. like this. So we believe that each are called according to their gifts. So while I was in Australia, I was actually kind of acting as a priest without even knowing I was acting as a priest. I was visiting families. I was being friends to those youth who didn't really have a lot of friends. So when I was called into that role, which actually the apostle called me into that role, People had to vote on my call. My congregation had to vote on my call. After I said yes, you have a year to say yes. Mm-hmm. And then you take classes and then you're ordained. And so I was a little bit shocked when I was called to be a priest. I never thought that might be a part of my life either. I thought maybe I might live in Australia and volunteer for the church and then go back. And I already had a place at the University of Missouri in Kansas City to be a math professor there. So and teach more about math education. So I had this idea where my life was going to go, and it still wasn't in ministry, even though I volunteered for the church for a year and a half, and I was ordained by that point. (sighs) So I went back to Kansas City after my year in Australia. I was just heartbroken. I loved Australia so much. They're so snarky there, and I felt like I was, (laughs) I felt like I belonged there. My people. (laughs) They were my people. And so I went back to Kansas City, Independence area, and I realized that math was no longer my first love, that I needed to serve God in whatever way I could. And for me, that meant working for Community of Christ if I could. So I I started applying for jobs, and I was hired pretty quickly after that. You talked about these nudges, and they sort of got a little harder and more forceful. Will you talk to me about how you, either how you perceive those or answers to prayers? I'm sure you're asking for direction in all of this. There are different ways, it seems like, that God speaks to different people. How has that been for you? Mm. Or is it a variety of ways? 
It's definitely a variety of ways. I'm definitely a feeler. You know, I don't know how much you know about Corinne Ware and her spiritual types or not, but there's like four spiritual types. There's a a feeler and a a head person, a justice person, and a mystic, right? Mm, I'm definitely a feeler, a heart person. Um, I cry like all the time. My dad is too. When my dad would preach, he would just leak from his face. I do the same thing. (laughs) I do exactly the same thing. I'm just like my dad in that way. And so I need to discuss with people and talk to people about what I'm feeling and how I'm how things are going. And then I need to know it within my heart. And may, I usually like go for a walk or I'll meditate or I'll do something like that in order to make sure that I can feel it right here where it matters for me. Mm. So anyway, that's why that's how I kind of work through those things. So that seems to me that sort of discernment that you're developing, that it seems like something you might think, I kind of feel this way. There's a leap of faith to act on it. And it seems like over time, you may come to really trust that, like, we've been through this before. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. Because, you know, like, I've worked for the church in three different locations now. So I started off in Northern California, and then I worked in Europe as the bishop in Europe, um, one of the bishops in Europe. Then I moved to Utah and... Every single time they have asked me to move and every single time I get to decide, right? I don't have to do any of those moves. In fact, at certain points I had choices on what job I wanted. And even though on one of those occasions the job I chose was probably not the wisest logical move, it was the move that I knew I had to do because I felt it in here. And I said I discussed it with a lot of people. I did. And they were like, don't do that job. (laughs) I was like, oh, no, I have to do that job. It's a terrible idea. But it turned out to be a pretty amazing idea. It was pretty Oh, sometimes the scariest things are are the best. It's so true. There's that song, I've Been Everywhere. Uh, You haven't quite been everywhere, but just tell me, going in Europe and other places, tell me of the places that you've worked and served. Yeah. So after Australia, I went to Northern California and uh, my hair got blonder (laughs) and I used those surfing skills that I got in Australia. And so I was all over Northern California. My area was from Bakersfield up to Oregon and barely into Nevada. So I got to know Northern California really, really well. And oh my gosh, it has a really solid place in my heart. I love some Northern California. I also love Disneyland and Southern California too, I must admit. And so then when I went to Europe, I still lived in Kansas City, and I would fly to Europe seven or eight times a year, stay there for three weeks or so, sleep on people's couches, you know, church members' couches. We had a few apartments around, but one of our main places was in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. So I would fly into Amsterdam. I'd be in Rotterdam for a couple days, or I'd be in the Netherlands for a while. We also had churches in Germany, France, Spain, Hungary, Russia, Ukraine, Georgia, And I'm probably missing, oh, Norway. I'm probably missing a few in there. So I would work in the Western and Eastern Europe part. We had our own bishop in the England part, but I went to England a lot too. This Kansas girl's got to see a lot of stuff. (laughs) My favorite thing, perhaps, uh, this is not completely serious, but (laughs) this one caught my eye though. Having served my LDS mission for two years in Northern Belgium, speaking Dutch slash Flemish. Right. When you said developing a deep love of Dutch mayonnaise. Yes. Oh my goodness. 
What is it about their Dutch mayonnaise that's so good? Well, I just thought you were listing it as another of your spiritual experiences. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what it was for me. It was so good. Their patat frites just like dip in there and go. Yes, I Man. probably would have died except I had to ride my bike 20 miles a day and that saved me from Thank a, goodness. how much I ate of those. <laughs> the okay. Dutch mayonnaise is so good. Um, every denomination has its own way of doing things as a group. I mean, there's individual parishes. And if you go to a Catholic parish in Mexico, it's different than the Catholic parish in Australia or in Maryland in the U.S. It's the same church, but there's something different because of where it is. There's this determination that a church has to make about conformity or we do these things this way. And then there's these other things, you know, whatever works. And so I'm wondering, like, if I go to different congregations of community of Christ, Will there be a different emphasis? Obviously, different people will make it feel different. But how does that work? Oh, that's a uh, – community of Christ is – it's going to be different every single place that you go for sure. Every single place has its own culture mm-hmm. and its own way of doing things. But, you know, there are so many things that bind us together as a group. In Community of Christ, we don't have a lot of rules that we follow. We have a few rules that mostly priesthood have to follow, but we don't really have rules. What we have are values, Mm. and these values are basically our core values, and we call them our enduring principles. So the enduring principles are things like, well, the big ones for me, the ones that mean the most to me are the worth of all persons. So it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, what you smell like, whatever, you walk through the door and... you're a person of worth, Mm -hmm. and you are treated as a person of worth. That's really, really important to Community of Christ. So one of our core values, and I would say this is certainly across the board, all over the world, worth of all persons. That's a big one. Another one um, is that all are called. We believe that everyone is called to do something. And me, as a bishop, it's not my job to tell people what they're called to do. It's whatever passion lies in your heart. Mm. So So whatever you feel passionate about, that's your calling. And then the congregation can help you with that calling. So we believe everyone's called to do something, and the congregation's there to support you through that. Um, Another one of our enduring principles is the sacredness of creation. So we do our best. We're not perfect at it, but we do our best to make sure that what we do is good for the earth. Uh, Another one, continuing revelation. We believe that God still speaks to us, and we have a book called The Doctrine and Covenants that we actually add to, not that we have to add to it every three years, but we have added to it every three years for a while. So we believe that God is still yearning for us, and we try and write it down, and then as a, a worldwide church, we vote on whether or not we believe that should be canonized. A few others. Which makes it handy to have scriptures perhaps on the web rather than a whole new set published, a hard copy every three years. It is so true. Uh, And, you know, like our wonderful and amazing translators, they – gosh, I couldn't even imagine translating scripture. I just think that would be the hardest thing. Mm. Since working in Europe, I realize how hard it is to translate. And you, speaking a different language, you know it's not a one-to-one changeover. This word in English, there's no such word for it in Flemish or whatever. So it's a difficult task. But yeah, continuing revelation is a big one for us too. So these values would follow us through every single congregation. And they might be lived out in a different way, but those values are really, really, really what bind us together. Can we talk challenges? Mm -hmm. Because I think that's half of religion sometimes Mm -hmm. or, or spirituality is how do I deal with 
the fact that everything does not go as I had planned that morning even. Amen. Are there answers that you, you feel like, I am still waiting on this, or I've just decided to be good with not knowing? Just that whole idea of, of mm -hmm. things that we do or don't understand. Hmm. Well, the first thing that popped into my mind is the Salt Lake City congregation, the Salt Lake City Community of Christ. I love these people so much and so dearly. But it's an interesting congregation to be the pastor of, mostly because we have people at all different stages of a faith transition. Mm. Um, we have very few people who have been community Christ their whole lives. We have about four people who have been community Christ their whole lives, and everyone else are converts in the congregation. We always have new people walking through the door. And so one of the challenges in the Salt Lake City Community of Christ is to make sure that everyone knows that they are loved and welcomed and worthy, like I was saying earlier, because there are people who are completely finished through their faith transition, and there are people who are just getting started who are just in deep amounts of pain. Mm. So the challenge for me as pastor there is just to make sure that I am walking with each and every person. That's a big challenge, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. What connects you most, whether it be, I don't know if it's prayer or continuing revelation, which would be a cause for study to know what it says. Mm -hmm. What are the things that connect you most to the divine? Mm. So one of the enduring principles I didn't mention is one of them is called blessings of community. Mm -hmm. And for me, as an extrovert, as a person who gains really? energy, seriously, and I know it's, it's surprising, <laughs> as a person who gets so much energy from being around people, for me, blessings of community is, is the place I feel the divine most. Mm -hmm. When I am by myself for three hours, I can feel the energy literally draining out of my body and I can barely move off the couch. But when I'm around people, like ideas are coming and creativity is coming and I can see how God is moving in your life and their life and their life and their life. And so for me, it's being around people and hearing about their lives and being involved in their lives is the way that I see God most clearly. Mm. All of this that you're doing, and you have a husband and you have a baby. I have two babies. Oh, you have two babies. I, I have a three-year-old and a 16-month-old. Okay, so even more. <laughs> okay, more juggling, more juggling going on. Has becoming a parent changed anything spiritually for you? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I think I can understand God a lot better now. Mm. And this is what every parent will probably say to you is that, you know, I love them so, so much, but they also drive me crazy, but I love them so much. And if God even has, or if my love for them is this much of what God, love God has for me, then, then God loves me too much. <laughs> God loves me so much, probably way much more than I deserve. And so like the parents' love for a child has just blown me away. Mm. Because I waited a long time to have kids. I didn't want kids for a really long time. And then my husband talked me into it. So I had my first baby at 40 years old. Mm. So I, I had 40 years to yeah, not understand that and the last four years to really understand it. Wow. A faith journey means you're in some place different than you were 40 years ago, for instance, mm -hmm. or even 10 years ago, I hope, I think. Yeah. What do you know now that you didn't know when you were 20 years old and whenever you would head off on your first service experience? Yeah. So one thing in Community of Christ is that I feel like we have not a great self-esteem in Community of Christ. I feel like we think that we're not 
anything big. You know, no one pays mm-hmm. attention to us. We're just a small denomination. But what I've learned since I've lived in Salt Lake City, actually, for the last five years, is that we are an exceptional organization. I have been really, really proud of where we've come from. Community of Christ has changed a lot in the last 15 years or so that I've started working for the church. And I've been really proud of the deep and difficult theological work that we have done. We have worked really hard to clearly define our identity, mission, message, and beliefs. and Including the name of the church. Absolutely, which changed 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which sounded, when I heard the new name, was like, that is very focusing. It is. How many times have I mentioned the word community here, right? Community is really important to us, right? <laughs> and we love Christ. Jesus was a good guy. We're into that guy. So we have worked really hard to be very focused, worked hard on our theology to make sure that we are in line with where we should be and where God is calling us. President Vesey recently said, God has given us enough light for just the next step. Hmm. So we are always in discernment of where God is calling us, and we have to be brave enough and vulnerable enough to take that next step. And so it's hard and difficult to say this is who we are and this is who we're called to be because it upset some people and they didn't love who we were saying that we were and they left. But for a majority and most people, they're like, yeah, this is who we are. So it's been a difficult theological road, meaning getting everyone on the same page and trying to work towards that. But it's been really, really, really rewarding too. Mm. You're active on the Salt Lake Interfaith Council. Mm-hmm. Also, I have I think I may have met you here in Utah County on the Interfaith Council. Mm-hmm. Why is it important for you to be involved in that with everything else that you already have to do? We are really, really interested in ecumenical work and interfaith work because we believe that there is truth in every single church out there. In every religion, there is a wonderful way to get to know God in a Mm. different way. And so it's important to us to support the interfaith councils, support the ecumenical councils, and make sure that we are with the people out there. And so I can see how you see God. I can see how an Episcopalian sees God. I can see how a Muslim sees Allah. And so it's just a way that we can understand God in a more interesting way. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Bishop Carla Long from the Salt Lake Community of Christ Congregation. Thank you so much. This has been a delight. Thanks for speaking with me today in good faith. I have really enjoyed it, Steve. I just had a great time just talking to you. You're so fun to talk to. That's our time for today. Thanks to Bishop Carla Long for generously sharing her stories, her travels, and her faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. Email us at ingoodfaith@byu.edu. And if you enjoy the show, be sure to leave a comment or review where you get your podcasts. Find all of our episodes online at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith. Our Twitter feed is at InGoodFaithBYU. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join me again soon, right here in Good Faith.